Greetings and salutations. Welcome to episode four of Bourbon Banter podcast. Uh, thank you for everyone that's checked in so far. Four episodes in, it's doing very well, getting really good feedback. So thank you for everyone that's checked in so far. Um, the platform itself, as, as I've always said, it's just a, a platform for open, honest conversation. Um, and it will be about an array of subjects, to be honest. Some are going to be a bit more lighthearted, some are going to be a bit more serious, but, you know, it's anything we can, you know, we think is, is worthwhile talking about. But the topic today, it's, I think it's a really good subject to sort of uh, unpack or attempt to, or at least have a conversation about it. So um, today we're going to talk about um, depression and mental health. Um I'm no expert. Uh, I don't think anyone here is an expert. Um, but I think it's something which isn't discussed enough. And I think it's just a good opportunity to have an open dialogue about it, really. Um, I'll explain a bit more in terms of how this topic came to lie, in terms of why I wanted to to discuss it. But first, I just want to just, um, we've got a special guest in the building today. So I just want to just introduce you want to introduce yourselves and then we can sort of get into it okay my name's adam uh i'm a friend of nathaniel's we worked together for a long time back in the rbs days mm. um I, I don't know that's all i'm going to say at the moment i suppose more stuff will come out oh, as we have man. this discussion but good to be here thanks for having me man. no problem man my name's yusuf uh, also another former rbs employee of uh, <laughs> Has some uh, good memories there. It's been a long time, but we always long uh, time. Have a, yeah, a good catch up whenever we do catch up. Whenever, yeah, <laughs> but man. yeah, well, I'm sure we'll elaborate on more on uh, anything yep. that we're going to discuss today later on. Everyone, everyone here's from RBS. You should have called it Bourbon and Banking, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice one. Oh, I like don't. It. I have a I feeling like we're going to have a load of RBS. Like, <laughs> I like it. Like <laughs> phrases being going to be thrown across today. Just, oh, damn. Let's see what happens. <laughs> uh, my name is Jermaine. Also used to work in the bank with um, Mr. Borben, Adam and Yusuf. And Mr. Borben's also lucky enough to be my brother. <laughs> <laughs> this guy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just want to say firstly, thanks guys for coming in just to discuss it. Because, you know, it's not an easy subject to, to unpack. So the reason why I wanted to discuss this subject in particular is because recently... Um, well, I was on the way to work, commuting, and um, my train literally um, was running a bit late. It was there, <clears throat> it pulled up, but it, was, it wasn't it was letting people on. It was a St Pancreas train, um, so you can imagine there was quite a lot of people waiting to, to get on. And it got to about the time when the train was supposed to leave, and I just looked around, I was thinking, oh, this is taking a bit long. So um, my colleague who I was with, we were looking around and I, I looked behind me and um, I saw a woman on a building, <coughs> which was uh, like a car park, car park complex opposite the train station. And I noticed she was just sitting on the ledge and I was thinking, oh, what's she doing? And um, the more I looked at her, I noticed that she was quite upset and I noticed that she was edging further and further um, to pass the edge. And I'm thinking, whoa, this is a bit, this, this doesn't seem right. So um, <clears throat> I basically yelled, I said, look, you know, 
I kind of got the impression that she was looking to jump. She was going to jump. And I was then very sure that she was going to jump. So I was shouting, say, look, you know, just kind of just wait there. Just wait there. You know, we can try and get to you or whatever. And I tried to <clears throat> run to try and get her. But then I realised that there was no way I could get to her from where I was because it's a separate sort of um, complex. Um, and it was quite disturbing for me because I, I just sort of, I, I think I just kind of, not panicked, but I kind of just went into auto, trying to do what I can mode. Um, so it got to a point where I was just basically just trying to talk to her and uh, me and my colleague. And I looked around and it was, what also was disturbing was that there was a train full of people. <clears throat> and there was about, maybe about three, four people that were actively trying to, you know, do something. Um, but eventually, um, I found another guy who was who was um, had my concerns, and we managed to jump over a fence. And we basically said, "Look, you know, she's on the edge. We we may have to catch her." So we basically got over there, tried to talk her, talk to her, just to try and you know distract her whenever we can to ensure that you know nothing really happened. Or oh, if it was to happen, <clears throat> that we'll be able to to catch her. Um, we were there for a few minutes and luckily there was a man, he came from behind and dragged her off. Um, and then I just carried on the rest of my day and got on the train and went to work. <clears throat> and it wasn't until I was actually at work, my colleague emailed at me and said, do you know, this, I feel a bit mad, you know, about what happened today. Like it just, it just really started to hit me what had actually happened. And, um... I spoke to wife about it and she was like, you know, are you okay? And I was like, oh yeah, well, why would I not be okay? She's like, it's quite a, you know, a big thing in what's actually happened, what you've witnessed. And then I actually started thinking about it. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, to be honest, actually, I'm not actually okay. This is actually quite a bit of a traumatic experience in the sense of a lot of questions went through my head. Um, and then it just made me thinking about you know, well, what was she going through? What could she be going through? Um, and I didn't have any answers because, you know, I didn't get to speak to her. And I kind of thought to myself, like, you you really don't know what people are going through. And <clears throat> it could be a matter where, you know, um, she, she could have been mentally ill, she could have just been depressed. We, we, I don't, we don't really know. And I kind of thought to myself, this is probably a conversation that we probably need to have it's not something which is kind of discussed enough in my opinion and that's why I, I sort of wanted to kind of have this conversation today really um I did put us um I put something on my Facebook to basically say look sort of an outline of what happened and um said I wanted to dedicate this episode to discussing this um and some people were Adam and Yusuf were were kind enough to basically say, look, you know, I'd love to come on and <clears throat> have a conversation about it and sharing experiences that, that I've had. So that's where we are at the moment. So thanks again, guys, for coming on. I think it's uh, hopefully, you know, we can try and have a conversation about it. And, and if we can at some, in any way affect somebody or you know, make people open that mind to um, the issue, then I think we've done a really good job so yeah thanks again guys so so what are your guys thoughts on um, depression and mental health what, so what? before we continue that, I want to say it's a good thing that we've have on this podcast today we've got people from different ethnic backgrounds 
And because in different ethnicities, it can be frowned upon, it can be looked at in different ways, <clears throat> different ways of uh, communicating it or even talking about it. It's hard, um, especially from a, um, an Asian family um, and a guy who's of an Asian background. Uh, mental health isn't talked to uh, as much as it should be. Uh, I don't want to make any assumption, but is that the same case in uh, the black community? Mm. Uh, the white community, I know it is moving forward. There's a lot more coming out. Uh, there's a lot more topics that have been come up with discussion, but it's still something that is that doesn't need to be talked about a lot more, which I'm glad we are here today uh, from all different walks of life talking about this topic because it hopefully it will allow and will um, help, um, let's say, I can't find the best word to it, but I think trigger <clears throat> someone to initially go speak to someone and speak to someone yeah. about uh, what experiences they're going through just to see uh, what hope they can get or mm. hope they might need. Yeah. So I think it's good that we've all come from different walks of life right now. So yeah, come and discuss this. This is one very important matter. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's, I think more, it's not so much the ethnic background, I think it's the cultural, you know, baggage that everybody comes with. Um, and Culture I think it's a big one as well. Yeah. You know, I think you're right. I think maybe if you can have a conversation that it can help people from different cultural backgrounds to kind of help bridge the gap between us. Because, you know, our cultural background brings a set of assumptions with it and unfortunately that set of assumptions leads us to believe sometimes that we're, we're too different from one another for us to understand what are mutual problems mm. I mean I remember I was I was seeing a therapist for a while and we were talking about my working class background and uh, the difficulties that are particular to that and she said to me she said you should be happy that you aren't middle class because they have real mental health problems because with a lot of the middle class people that she treated, she said that, you know, emotions, feelings were, was really something that they did not talk about at all. It was very, mm. very frowned on, not amongst a particular ethnicity, but just amongst middle class people, people with, with more money. I'm not sure why that is. She didn't really go into it, but, but I think you're right. I think there's definitely different cultural attitudes towards mental health. Yeah, absolutely. Think, um, you said people more money. I think sometimes it, having a lot of money, you kind of look, Look, look down on people so you think oh, yeah. that you're kind of better than people so when it comes down to a lot of mental health and a lot of depression etc there's normally within men middle-aged men that uh, suffer from suicide mental health um, and depression it's, it's rising as well that's, yeah. the, that's the warning statistic and it's just because men don't chat about it we, um, men don't chat about men don't chat about their feelings and it's pride yeah Pride and when you're in a, when you're in a group of friends now, right? Let's say you're going out for a few drinks, <coughs> you're not going to be like, oh, so how you been? You're not going to just, you're going to say, oh, I've been alright, you know. You're not going to be like, well, last week um, so and so happened, and it it got me kind of down because you know, like, well, just have another drink, man, you'll be fine. You know what I mean? And you start drinking more, and then your feelings then start coming out. You then start thinking rash, and you start doing stupid things, and next thing you know, you've done some bodily harm. You have put yourself in harm people around you in harm just because you've got a lot of stuff in your chest which you just you've not got out and you've got you've got people around you but then sometimes you, you may not want to burden that person with your with your problems because you've been telling someone you're like oh you think that's bad oh my wife made me chicken chick con carne last night and, that, and it was horrible and you're like well i'm trying to tell you a real life issue <clears throat> you know what i mean so your issue your problem may not be it may not be um, someone else's problem, so they may so you may feel like they're not going to take you serious. So it's mm. it's just about 
find that platform, find that person, even if it's just a random person, just a friend, just, just people seem to talk about stuff. Mm. Mm. I think like a big thing <clears throat> as well, what what made me think about um this this there's a lot of segments to it as well in terms of depression and mental health and um a portion of that is is, is trauma and um post-traumatic stress um it's not something i really thought about but i was speaking to um speaking to my wife's cousin and he was basically saying that there's and i also sort of something similar in that thing was that random as a meeting million interview basically and it was basically saying that in the streets and even in life people go through real traumatic experiences and they don't know how to um unpack the feelings so what you find is is that he said that for example you know growing up he'll see you know there's people that he knows that have have, have died in front of him and there's no sort of vessel for them to sort of you know pull that to, into to, yeah to put yeah, that into yeah. and he basically said you know when you think about the army let's say for example you will you know some people come back with with post-traumatic stress disorder and because of the things that they've seen they've seen um you know friends that fought alongside die um in some really bad circumstances and situations and he said but when you compare that I'm not saying anything is worse than the other, but when you think about it, you know, imagine growing up with friends from young and maybe seeing that person die in front of you and you're supposed to then continue yeah. and live your life. Yeah. And I think things you like... You, maybe you don't even know you've had a trauma. Right. And I think that's the thing. And if it, he's basically saying that there's people walking around now with that on their shoulders and have no idea how yeah. to sort of express it and there's no sort of way in which they can actually you know and and some people are kind of taught to you know you, you kind of step off a lip you know what i mean you kind of just you hold it down and you kind of just live your life but you know there could be some triggers that kind of just could could can, can trigger that that, everyone that emotion deals with, everyone deals with it differently yeah everyone does deal with it and the thing is when you walk out the front door and you know you meet I mean, every day you meet a whole bunch of strangers, don't you? Like you were saying about that woman, you have literally no idea how many of the people you meet in a day are dealing with mm. whatever experience. But I mean, the interesting thing about post-traumatic stress disorder is one of the common beliefs about it is that all post-traumatic stress disorder is caused by things that people have seen. And actually, the, a large portion of post-traumatic stress disorder is actually caused by the things that people have done so when people go into war, they find themselves in a combat situation and they end up doing something they didn't know they were capable of. Uh, and that reveals something about themselves that they didn't know was there. You know, maybe they did something violent to somebody that they never thought they would do. And obviously you're in a combat situation. I've never been in combat myself, but I assume you're in survival mode. Your instincts start kicking in that fight or flight and, you know, God knows what you're going to do. But, you know, that, that has an effect on people as well because... Because we don't talk about feelings, people don't reflect enough on not just how they feel about things, but who they are as well. Mm. You know, I think everybody likes to believe that they're a very well put together and moral person. But I think there's, you know, at least a little shard of darkness inside of everybody. Mm. And, uh, and I think it's when, like Jermaine was saying about you know, when you're out with your friends and you're, you know, you're not keeping an eye on those feelings, it can start to come out in, in quite unpleasant ways. You know, there's a, 
there's a, a feminist commentator called Christina Hoff Summers, and she was talking about sort of young men, particularly young men in the black community who have come from fatherless households. And she said that the problem is with young men, if you neglect them, they have very, very unpleasant ways of making themselves noticed, mm. you know. And, uh, you know, and I think that's, that's a cross-cultural thing. Mm. You know, it's not, not <clears throat> particular to the black community, but she was talking about gang violence and discussing why a lot of young men end up in gangs. And it's because, <clears throat> you know, people, when people get neglected, you know, that itself is a form of trauma, mm. you know. Mate. So, so yeah, it's a deep, a deep running issue, I think. It will start young and it will just get... Uh, deep as, it, as you grow mm. so yeah uh, not having that sense of belonging it mm. can be a detriment to people so and the, even things like um, what I've been sort of like looking into a lot recently is like um, anxiety as well um, there's a lot more people that I've realised that do suffer from anxiety um, some people close to me and as well and and you know, I hear conversations, you have conversations and I talk about you've got certain triggers and that mm. sort of thing. And for some people, it could be um, social settings. Yeah, yeah. And that sort of thing. And even, you know, something, I mean, it's not something which I 100% understand because it's not something that I suffer from. But I kind of think to myself, imagine going through life and being in a position where you worry about being in certain social mm, social mm, mm. social settings and circumstances and I can think that could be really quite could have an impact on your life and you know things like that I hadn't really thought about before you know and you know there's certain things people just assume that with any sort of mental health issues or any sort of uh, issues which we suffer then it's, it's something which are oh, just born this way or there's a lot of things which develop through life mm, and mm. like you said there's certain there's certain things which you don't think are even in you yeah yeah, yeah yeah and i kind of think to myself well you know if that woman had jumped i don't know how i would feel after that yeah. and i don't know whether i would go on being being in the position i am now and yeah. feeling the way i do yeah. now because that is seeing somebody jump and to the, to the death in, yeah. in, in front of me and even what I saw even though she didn't jump I, I didn't, she didn't jump I still will remember that for the rest of my life mm, mm, because mm. it's just something I can't get out of my head yeah. but if she had actually died and actually witnessed the whole thing mm. I don't know how I would feel yeah I mean I, th I think any any man who's been through a really bad breakup with a girlfriend knows that trauma doesn't hit you straight away like mm. it brews for a while doesn't it and then it all sort of burst out you later on so I think you're right but, I mean, I, I had a lot of problems with anxiety and panic attacks. And uh, I remember my first one, and I was with a load of, you know, we're all chilling out in the front room, and we were all smoking back then, yeah. you know. And uh, I was chilling, and then I felt really weird, felt really strange. I thought, I need to go in the bathroom. So I went in the bathroom. I was splashing cold water on my face, and I sat on the edge of the bath, and I thought, I don't know, am I having a heart attack? I felt like I was going to die. You know, I wasn't worried about anything. I wasn't thinking about anything. I was just, just chilling with my friends, you know what I mean? And then from there, it started to get, you know, because I had various issues with drugs and things like that, you know, it started to get worse and worse so that, you know, you'd go out to a club or whatever and you'd come home and you'd be on your own, you know, and then you wouldn't be able to sleep, you know, because you'd been doing whatever. And you'd just be lying there with your heart pounding, and then you'd start sort of dwelling on it and thinking, you know, is this it? Am I going to die? And, and like there'd be a few times when I'd like, 
like I literally thought that was it, you know. I'd go out for a walk outside. I'm like, I'm checking out, you know. And uh, there was one night where I actually called an ambulance and the, the, you know, the medical guy came over or whatever and he brought an ECG with him and he put it on me, looked at the readout and he was like, you need to go to the hospital right now. So immediately I'm freaking out even more, mm. do you know what I mean? So then they kept me in overnight, did all these tests on me and they said like, there's nothing wrong with you. So I was like, what's going on? Do you know what I mean? So the problem with, with an anxiety attack when you get a really bad one is that from the point of view of the person suffering, it has all the hallmarks of a heart attack. There's no way of telling the difference unless a doctor actually looks at you. And what you were saying about the, the things that trigger those particular responses to things, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, when I was going through a lot of therapy, my therapist was explaining to me that the trigger might have happened four hours ago. You know, thoughts crossed over in your brain. You're not paying attention to it. You know, it's, it's you know, you, you're sort of subconsciously dwelling on it. And then the physical responses start to kick in. You'll be in a perfectly relaxed situation, watching the television with your missus, you know, having a good time or whatever. And then all of a sudden, you know, your chest starts beating really hard. Your fingers start tingling. You're out of breath. You're sweating. Your chest is hurting. And you're like, is, is this it? You know, where has this come from? You know, so, but I mean, one of the, one of the ways that I've, I found that was good to deal with it was I started learning meditation. And, uh, you know, when I was learning some of the basic skills about meditation, you know, I was introduced to this idea that most of us are so busy and so distracted in our lives that we're not really paying attention to the half of the things we're actually thinking. So if you look at your mind like uh, almost like a checkpoint, all right, you know, mm. going across a border mm. and thoughts are just coming in all the time. And like there's a guard in that little watchtower and he's not paying attention. So if something negative walks in there and starts causing havoc, you know, when by the time that guard's looked up and seen all the craziness happening, it's like he didn't know how it started. He didn't know <clears> where it came from. <throat> but one of the things that's useful about meditation is that you are paying attention to those thoughts all the time. So mm. when one of them comes in, you can't stop it coming in there, mm. you know, but you've, the guy's seen it, it's walked in and he's gone, okay, I know that that thought's there now. I'm just going to keep an eye on it. Mm. All right. I can't change the fact that it's there. I'm not going to try and get rid of it because that you can't do that. You know, if someone says, don't think about pink elephants, what's the first thing you're going to yeah, think about? Elephant, you know? yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> no. I mean, do, do, do you, <clears throat> is that still something, something that you suffer from now or is that something which over the years you've been able to sort of get a handle on or? Um, I mean, the meditation out, I mean, I use an app called Headspace, which was designed by this uh, guy called Andy Puddicombe, who's uh, this dude, he's an English guy. And he, a few of his friends were killed in a car crash when he was younger and his parents divorced and he sort of went through all this, you know, sort of, uh, he had many mental health problems, what you call them. So he went to Tibet and he became a Buddhist monk, basically. He went and lived in a monastery for about 10 years and got taught all the techniques and stuff. Um, and... One of the most interesting things that he talked about was that he said he had all these negative emotions, all these negative feelings about what had happened to him. And he was with this, you know, a, a more senior monk than him who was teaching him about meditation. Mm. And the monk who was kind of, you know, he had a good sense of humor or whatever. He was a fairly laid back kind of guy, as you would expect with a Buddhist monk. Mm. And um, he said to him, he said, this pain that you feel, he said, where is it in your body? And he's like, what do you mean? And he said, well, 
you know, find it. That's your job this week when you're meditating, because they were meditating like mm. 18 hours a day. <clears throat> so I want you to find where this pain is. This is like, okay. So he goes away for a week and then he comes back and he sees this guy and this guy says to him, did you find it? And he's like, well, I'm not really sure. He's like, was it in your nose? He's like, well, no. He's like, was it in your earlobes? He's like, well, no. He's like, your stomach? He's like, he's like, this pain you keep talking about, I feel like, where is it? So he didn't really have an answer for it. And then he said, look, he said, your mind is like a blue sky, right? The thoughts are the clouds. And sometimes the sky gets so cloudy, you can't even see the sky anymore. Mm. And he said, but the sky is always there, no matter what's going on in your head. And you can always return to it as long as you're paying enough attention to your mind, as long as you're aware that they are mm. just clouds. Mm. Yeah. And then he asked him a really interesting question. <clears throat> he said, you spend all this time observing your thoughts, because that's what meditation is. It's, mm. it's observation of what's going on inside you. He said, you spend all this time observing your thoughts. He said, if you're observing the thoughts, who's thinking them? Because mm. it's not you. Mm. And I've been thinking about that for five years now. Mm. Because you think everything that occurs inside my head is, is me. All my thoughts are me. Mm. And the point he was making is your thoughts aren't you. They're, just, they're like images on a TV screen that you're watching. You know, but you identify with them so strongly that you think they are you. You think that they're part of you and they define who you are and they don't necessarily. So, you know, getting back to the anxiety thing. Um, one of the ways that I could categorize how the anxiety affects you is. My heart would start beating really hard and I wouldn't want to focus on it. I'd get frightened of that feeling. They call it heartbeat awareness. Some people have it more than other people. Apparently, the, the, the more heartbeat awareness you are, the better you are at poker, apparently. <laughs> they did these tests on people, so they'd get people to play, play. They'd play a card game, but they wouldn't <clears> explain <throat> the rules, okay? And you'd, so you'd just seemingly win at random times. Yeah. And the people who had more heartbeat awareness were better at figuring out the rules. They couldn't mm. figure out why. Uh, anyway, so, you know, you'd have all these kind of physical feelings that you're trying not to think about. And, you know, the meditation practice gets you to stop running away from them and pay attention to them. You know, as if, imagine that your mind and your, your feelings are almost like, a, like an animal, okay? You're watching this animal. Like if you, if you saw a cat, you know, walking down the street or whatever, and you're in a relaxed moment, like you're going to watch that cat. And you've got no agenda. You're just curious, aren't you? Mm -hmm. You're just looking at this animal going, mm -hmm. I wonder what that animal's doing. Yeah. So you've got to treat your mind like that. You've got to just not make any judgments about it or try and change anything. You've just got to watch it doing its thing and the more you observe it and the more you kind of note what's going on like oh my heart's beating really hard mm. oh you know my fingers are tingling or i'm worried about this i'm worried about that you know the more you kind of just acknowledge it the more prone it is to just going away so mm. no thanks for sharing that man that, that's that's deep and i think what i've what i've realized is since I've had this experience is that a lot more people um, that realise had suffered from um, depression of some sort or any sort of anxiety. Um, and I think it's something which it was good because I, when I actually put forward the conversation, people were receptive to it. And I think one thing is, I don't think we have the conversation enough. Mm -hmm. um, I know in definitely in the black community, it's not something which we discuss. I think it's something which we sort of try and brush under the carpet. Um, 
I do know some people that I know have some some issues which I'm not 100% sure what they are, but I know there is something. And I know a lot of people know that they know, mm. family members know, and nothing is done about it, and they don't want to have that conversation. So why do you think that that is then? I, I personally think with <clears throat> stuff like that, it's a bit like um, about talking politics. People have very strong opinions and stuff, so views and opinions so people just don't really want to get into that debate or discuss it because if you if you told someone oh yeah i like if you told someone oh yeah i've got these anxiety issues or i've got these kind of issues that person might just be like you know man up that's that's one of the worst things you is can that, is say that, is, that, is that man up so then you're like, oh, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna talk about it again because then if you're cause like i said everyone deals with certain things different like because for example me and me and Frank could have been in the same situation, where we we saw like a like a someone pass away. I could take it in my stride. The mm. final the final could be fine for the first week <coughs> month, and then all of a sudden, just hits them. Yeah. That's why you see when some people some families where if parents die, you got siblings, and one deals with it better than the other. One may go down the spiral. One may just be keep it on another yeah, one, and then yeah. we just so, keep going. Yeah, everyone, everyone deals. It just with, hits yeah. different people differently. Yeah. So it's so when you're talking like for example, with my with my job, um, I do I do talk to a lot of people who, um, it's a lot of people with um, financial difficulties. What, what do you do now, Jim? Um, I work work in a housing organisation right. in regards to rent and arrears, etc. So I'm dealing with a lot of people who got financial difficulties, <coughs> but they've got other issues as well. So I've I've spoken and seen some people with some severe mental illnesses mm. like to the point where sometimes I just sit there and I just think Wah. like you don't know what to say no mm. literally mm. that no you just stop when, when someone told you oh yeah I'm, I'm depressed um, I'm unhappy etc but then when you actually see people who have gone through it they just, not even, it's, it's like a mental illness where they're not they're, they're not themselves they're just like living in the front living room in a tent kind mm-hmm. of thing like, yeah, yeah. they're throwing their own feces at the wall just stuff like that their mind is somewhere else like, their mind's been fried and you can't even explain what it is and they can't even explain what it is because mm. what they what they're feeling is normal and to them we are we are weird yeah, yeah. So, it may, sometimes it may not even be normal it just be uh, an experience that they're going through they say I just don't know how to explain it mm. I knew I was at this point one point in my life now I've changed. Yeah. Now this has yeah. happened, and this feels doesn't feel right, but it feels like something I need to do or have to do. Yeah. Mm. And I, I think what it is, though, I think what through through what I've my what my experiences and what I've seen over the years is that um, I know I can only speak in the black community. Black community. I'm not. I'm not sure how it is with with every other community. But I think we we just see that. We just think, oh, he's mad. Oh, so and so is mad, and we never unpack it. I'm packing you never more than that. Into it we d- we further. never do, and it's I think exactly the same in the Asian community because we just want to. We don't look at it and we don't acknowledge it. That's what I think. It's also come down from the fact that we've had our like grandparents and parents grow up in this country. We've mm. grown up with uh, our family mentality from back home. Mm. Yeah. So back yeah. home, uh, back in Pakistan, anyway. You guys, uh, Jamaican, Kitishan, um, Jamaican, yeah, half yeah. Jamaican. So back in our homeland it's not really something that is discussed or even something that is 
um, catered to for by the local authorities, local government health mm. services. Mm. It's not looked into and it's not catered for. So that's why our, let's say, our upbringings as well and our cultural background, it's not really discussed because we don't know how to discuss yeah, it. Yeah, it perpetuates itself over time, doesn't it? Like if your grandparents never talked about it and your parents never talked about it and your culture's not talking about it, yeah. then like Jermaine was saying, when you finally meet someone who's having a problem, you don't know how to talk no, about it. No, you genuinely it. don't. Yeah. yeah. And I'm going to go to an experience that I've had uh, a couple of years <clears> ago. Uh, and I'm also going to shout out um, to a police officer who did something very heroic this day. Um, a few years ago, I uh, had my neighbour who is we're that close with their family that I'd class him as my uncle. Mm. Um, he was fine. I, for the whole time I've known him, he was fit, he was healthy, he was working like seven days a week, seeing his kids in the morning, before school, after school, and then he'd come home uh, just before they finished school so he could say hi to the kids and then he'd shoot back off to work. Every day this guy was grafting. He only took like one day off every two weeks. He then went into a stage of a rock this is what you don't know. He went and um, parked himself. He didn't turn up to work one day. He went and parked himself in a, a cafe on the other side of the city. So we lived on one side of the city. He lived, he worked on a, not too far, about 10 minutes away from his house. Mm. Uh, but then he went and go parked himself uh, about 20, 30 minutes away uh, in a cafe and we just sat there for the whole day, cup of tea in front of him. Uh, and then police officers end up uh, having to bring him home because the cafe closed and then he didn't know. Uh, and that happened a couple of times where he just went missing. Uh, and then, and the worst thing was, no one knew what to say to him and no one knew what to do about it and how to go about things because that's how it is in the Asian culture. It's not, not discussed. Me growing up as a child, up to where I am now, and still to this day, mental health is not discussed, has not been discussed in my household. Mm. And that is a big problem right now, especially with... Uh, society moving forward mm. different people suffering from different things uh, it is something that does need to be uh, spoke about a lot more mm. um, so what happened one day uh, my uncle ended up going to um, in not oh, so we're in Nottingham he ended up going to near the Nottingham Forest Football Club uh, and ran it to the ground you've got a bridge going up going over the River Trent and he was there it was match day people walking up and down towards the stadium catching buses there was police everywhere uh, so it was pretty busy. He just stood and he ended up climbing onto the ledge. Um, and he told me um, that what happened was he was thinking about it and then he got spooked when a police officer stopped and confronted him about it. He didn't know what to do. Because not only what his, uh, mental health wasn't discussed with him, he didn't know how to take things. He didn't know how to handle it. Mm. He just thought, what's happening to me? Am I going insane? Mm. He didn't know how to go about it. He ended up jumping into the Trent in, this is in February time, so this is cold. cold. Yeah. Mm, like, and the Trent is freezing, like, mm. you um, catch pneumonia just by jumping in the Trent. And, and I'm going to shout out this police officer because this guy is a definition of, put him some, he put himself in harm's way to save someone else's life. Mm. And still to this day, I cannot thank this guy enough. The guy's name is James Speedy, a uh, police officer of Nottingham. And he jumped, he ran down from the bridge onto the embankment. Bear in mind, there's a tide going as well, so my uncle's body's been washed away. Mm. He hit the, it hit the water with such force that he knocked himself out. Mm. So it was unresponsive, he was just floating away in the water. Uh, uncle um, James miraculously stripped down, jumped in the trunk with a, uh, a buoyancy aid and swam out. 
And once he grabbed a hold of my uncle, the amount of police officers and uh, dragged him back, it was about a good 10, 15 police officers pulling him back. And not only that affected everyone who knows my uncle, his kids, his wife, uh, his brothers, his sisters, our neighbours, it all affected everyone differently. Not many people uh, spoke to him about it. And and when I saw my uncle the day he was uh, um, discharged from hospital, I went round to my, uh, his house and I saw his brothers, I saw his brother-in-laws, uh, saw his kids, saw his wife, and none of them knew how to say Oh, none of them knew what to say or how mm. to go about saying it. They said, no, no, it's a phase. No, no, mm. it'll be all right. No, no, you just need to think past it. No, no, you're bigger than you can get through this. Like, yes, some of the things that he said was right, but they just some of the things they did say wasn't was also very wrong. Mm. And mm. how words can be perceived by someone who's going through uh, mental instability, like depression, anxiety, saying the wrong thing can trigger them yeah. to mm. go, go from one level to then another extreme. And, peop- and having... Um, different backgrounds discuss this more openly it needs to be done because um, it's coming more and more common be, uh, between Asian families and uh, with uh, mental mental depression anxiety stuff like that and I'm guessing it's the same with, uh, with the black community as well it's moving forward people are coming out and they're letting their um, their mental anxiety the depression they're letting, making it more known but still it's not as known as it could be because um, we as the, as our communities were similar in ways, mm. we're very we're a very proud proud community. Mm. You, you want to have that pride, and talking to someone about like, oh yeah, I'm going through this, I'm going through that. In I'm, I don't want to assume in your culture, but in my culture, it can be seen as oh yeah, that person's weak. Mm. Why are we going to associate ourselves with someone who's weak like that? Mm. And we mm. need and in our culture, we need to move away from that because that is damaging. Uh, to people's health and not only health and how people look at us as a community but it's also damaging the way we can approach it and where we can uh, people aren't looking at ways we can do things they're just saying oh yeah it's fine they'll get over it Mm. which is ironic isn't it because like as seeing it as weak and not talking about it is the thing that's weakening you yes you know that's the thing that's weakening your culture is not actually airing it out so the mad thing is you could like like you said about your uncle he was working all the time. Grafting. Yes. It was a grafter. So basically, you're grafting for your family, but then, end of the day, your body could just be like, that's enough. Yeah. I can't do it anymore. And then it just shuts down on you. Your mind will shut down on you and then you're like... That's what happens. So you could be like the first... It's like, like, for example, your heart is like a a muscle in it. So like, that person that did a marathon, was just doing another marathon, like, it probably done every year, started running, just dropped dead. You know what I mean? He's healthy. Yeah. Like the football player that just dropped down on the, on the pitch. You're yeah. healthy. You you're very, but you sometimes your body just can't take no more. Your mm. heart mm. can't take no more. You might you might you you might. I don't remember the football player yeah. you're on about as well. Yeah, his name. Um, Bolton brother. There's one yeah. for Bolton, and then there's one that people have actually passed away on. Yeah, people right? yeah. passed away. In this. So it's it's mad because literally your body like you could be doing all like this Fiorentina stuff. Fiorentina player who yeah. passed away not too long ago. You've been doing all this stuff, man. You're moving you're moving to levels, 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 but then you're putting your mind on that much stress. It just goes, you know what? Time out. And yeah, and, it, and yeah. it's it's a big thing as well because this is what happened with my uncle. Um, his mind, his body couldn't keep up with the way his mind was thinking, mm. and that's what's happening with people nowadays. They're going through, they're working all their lives, they're working hard, 
for that success and for that success and they're grafting and they do well but some people they'll do well and then they'll hit a point where their body can't cope and this is what one cause and i spoke to him the other day about it and he's like yeah uh he's a lot more open about it with me now because i've said listen we're gonna i want to talk to you about anything yeah. anything you want to talk about come speak to me because him not having the outlet was going to be more detriment to him yeah mm. i wanted mm. to give him the outlet i didn't care about myself mm. Um, not in that way, but I don't care. I didn't yeah. care about myself. But <clears throat> yeah, I, I I wanted to have his burden. I wanted to share his burden because mm. having, having him dealing with it on his own, it's it would have been worse. It's gonna make it ten times worse if I wanted to help him. Because having someone there, when you have no one around you, and you have you think you have no one to turn to, that is when you're at that isolation. Like, yeah, yeah. is when you're at one of your weakest yeah. points. And I think as well. When you're in a position where you are sort of the head of the household, let's say, for example, and everybody's dependent on you, mm. you know, who do you talk to and who do you turn to? Yeah, because yeah, you yeah. are... I was, I was listening to... Um, it was a Royce the 5'9 song. It's on his new album, and, he, and he, it's a song called Strong Friend. And the, the premise of the song is basically saying, check up on your strong friends. Like there's mm. always somebody who takes on everyone's problems, who um, is always there for everybody else. But where are they going? But who is there for him? Yeah, yeah. So he's basically saying, look, you know, as much as the people you may know that may be really mentally strong on, and you know, take on the world, check on them every, every now and again and just basically see whether they're okay because who do they turn to? Because mm, everyone's mm, expecting mm. them to be fine. So yeah, yeah. there's no one to... to, to, to that's to, another big thing, yeah. assumption. I mean, I mean, getting back to what you're saying about people not talking about the problems, I mean, and, uh, and your body giving up on you. I mean, last year, my gran and my uncle died within about a month of each other. And uh, my gran, when she died, she was 97, right? And physically, she was sort of falling apart, but mentally, she was like sharp as a knife. Do you know what I mean? And I went, I'd not seen her for a long time, but I went to see her in this home she was living in. She was really, really lucid. You know, it was a really nice conversation. She was talking about her life and, and all of the things that she'd done, things that she regretted, things that she'd enjoyed. And she said, but to be honest, I'm just tired now. I'm just, I've had enough. Mm. I've, you know, I just, I don't, I'm not suicidal, mm. but I'm, I'm done. I've yeah. done the things I need to do. And she started telling me about, uh, she had a lot of brothers and sisters when she was young. I didn't know this. And she said she had a she had a little brother, and I can't remember his name. Joseph, I think he was called. And he said he died when he was very young. And she told me that, and I was like, oh, I didn't know that. And she said sometimes I think I'm living his life for him as well. Mm. Like I've lived such a long life because mm. he didn't get one, you know. Mm. And uh, so she passed away, which was sad, but it was like okay. 97 you've had a good innings do you know what i mean it's mm. like the body doesn't last forever does it but then when my not really my uncle my auntie's second husband graham died i mean he my auntie worked in a flower shop and you know he's a like proper working class guy mm. do you know what i mean he'd drag himself out of his you know out of his sick bed to go and work or whatever um so they're unloading the van you know unloading all the flowers or whatever into the shop and, uh, and he says, oh, I feel a little bit rough. I need, need a drink of water. And she's like, are you all right? And he's like, yeah, yeah. I just feel like my arms are like lead. Do you know what I mean? And so she's like, mm, okay. He says, I just feel really out of breath. My chest's hurting. And she's like, alarm bells ringing straight mm. away. Do you know what I mean? Like, you need to call an ambulance or go to the doctor. He's like, oh, shut up. I'll be fine. I'll go and lie down, yeah? So he goes and lies down. And normally they go out on a Saturday night. But he was like, I don't feel like it tonight. I'm just going just gonna to stay in or whatever. So 
she's like okay cool and then you know don't say any more about it then I think maybe a week later a couple of weeks later you know at this point my auntie Anne's still grieving for her mum do you know what I mean her mum you know just buried buried my gran and uh, they go to the restaurant having a big family dinner and he says I'm going for a cigarette and he never came back he just walked out lit the cigarette and dropped to the ground just he said he had a heart attack was so bad he was bleeding out of every hole in his face oh wow the paramedics turned up tried to sort him out thought that they'd done it went to hospital they put him in a you know a medically induced coma whatever you want to call it um and my auntie Anne was convinced he was going to be all right like you are mm. so the doctor said look he's on life support his brain was starved of oxygen when he had the heart attack he's he's going to be severely brain damaged if he does come around so she's like i'm not turning him off so she stays with him and she's with him one night and she says she she held his hand she said squeeze my hand and he squeezed the hand and she said rotate your feet and he rotated his feet and she was like it's gonna be all right and then you know a couple of days later or whatever the nurse comes in and says his brain activity is so low he's never going to recover that's it and then you know he passed away and it was like you know, for her, that's very difficult because it's like there was no goodbye. There was no mm. like, and obviously she feels very guilty now because there was that warning sign. Mm. Him being a working class bloke, he just ignored it. He's like, oh, I don't need to go to the doctor. Pride. I'll be, exactly. Mm. Yeah, I'll be fine. It's a man thing. I, I yeah. hate going to the hospital. Yeah. yeah. I, I think anyone, any any man would not want to go I, through. I, I, I absolutely I, hate I, it. And I don't think it's just pride, you know. I think part of it is fear as well. Yeah. I think it's fear of having a problem you can't solve yourself. If, if they didn't tell you there's a problem, then there's no problem. Yeah. 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 But like, you go to the hospital and they go, uh, you know, you've got a severe heart problem. Like, you're the problem solver. How do you fix that? Yeah. Mm. You know, and I think it's that fear of having that, like I say, having that problem. What that, to do? Yeah, yeah. I think there's a stigma as well so. of mental health, mental depression, for example, being linked to, um, well, I know there are links to um, deprivation and... and um, do you mean like sort of social deprivation? Yeah. Material deprivation? But I think also, you know, it... You know, it obviously applies to everybody as well. I was, um, I mean, you hear about celebrities, uh, you know, Rob, Rob, Robin Williams, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah what's this? Miss no, 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 the singer, like. Oh, Lincoln Park. Lincoln Park. Guy, yes. yes. Chester Bennington. Chester, Chester Bennington. Bennington. Yeah. Yeah. Demi Lovato recently as well. Yeah, right? the guy out of Soundgarden yeah. as well. Chris Cornell, he killed himself. Gary, is Gary yeah. Speed? Is it Gary? Le Wells? Yeah, Le Gary Speed. It's like, when you look at these people, you think, Look at them, they've got everything they need. Well, this yeah. is it. And I think that's the, when people, when this kind of thing happens, it kind of opens up the conversation really because you're thinking, well, this guy's rich, he's got, but then you think, well, you know. What does that it, mean? What, what does that mean? Yeah. You know, and you don't know what what happens in people's heads. And I was watching an, um, I think I, was, I saw like a segment on this morning or something, and there's a woman, she won um, the lottery as like a teenager. And she's now broke. Yeah, she's she's now broke. She was basically saying that she's happy now when she didn't have any. Because she said she suffered a lot of depression because she didn't know. Because she said she didn't know 
who was there for her mm. for the money who mm. was there she couldn't trust anyway she said basically she really sort of suffered from a lot of depression just on the basis that she didn't know who around her actually wanted to and I think there was obviously other issues as well because she she, she was um she was um i think she was from a foster foster home as well but oh, it was yeah. it's more the fact of the fact that she didn't know and who around her actually liked her for her it's, it's funny it reminds me of that jay-z and r kelly song it ain't personal yeah you know what he's talking about you know if you're friends with someone you both broke you both broke yeah you know if one of you gets money it's like you know but i, I think you know with the robin winning one i think that's a, that's the maddest one because he's a comedian so mm. he's there to make you laugh. Yeah. And he's obviously made you laugh on many, many occasions, but he's going through some mad depression. So every day he opens his door and then puts a, he basically just forces a smile on his face. You don't know what's going on behind his behind the door. And then all of a sudden it's just like you're just chilling in it's your house. Bam. You get a message, Robert Williams passed away. Suicide, you're like, but what do you mean? Mm. You know what I mean? Like Same with he, the he, Chester Benson, like but, but you yeah. don't well, you don't assume that, oh, yeah, yeah. They've, they've got these problems. Well, we well, the way I look, do you know, like, with a lot of... I see it with a lot of musicians as well. I think there's a lot of musicians that got, um, that got some kind of mental illness or some kind of thing. That, but that kind of thing will then make them great. Yeah, so it's yeah. like a lot of people use their differences and their mental illness and they'll, and they'll push them, for, push them, push yeah. them far. Because you... I think some, sometimes it gives you that different kind of creativity. Yeah. Like, because I, I was watching um, um, one of these series, I think it was um, Da Vinci Demons, you know, it was about Leonardo Da Vinci, mm. right? And it was just basically him back in the days, how he's made all these, all these things, or, or how he made all these equipment, all this stuff, uh, for, um, for the Christians, etc., whatever. But it was basically going down the line that like he had some kind of mental illness, right? But that kind of mental illness was helping him see things that other people wouldn't yeah. see. Yeah, creativity yeah. is almost like a perspective, yeah. you know, and that so, with with those creative people, yeah, they so definitely I've, have a really unusual perspective. So I've things. always thought as well, I've always thought, you know, with a lot of musicians as well, a lot of the greatest musicians are not are not, not normal. I think they've all got something, like they've all got something wrong with like Michael Jackson, with, everyone knows about Michael Jackson, um, even, even with Prince, with what he used to wear, I think that his, he was, in my mind, he's not normal and for him not being normal, that's the best thing about him because he became such yeah, a creative. Yeah, so unique. Creative, yeah, yeah so mm. unique. And this, this stuff like that, I just feel like that adds a lot, that, that kind of mental, mental illness adds to their creativity but at the same time, they would need, um, they, they all need an outlet. Yeah. So they, they all need people around them in order, because I don't think Michael Jackson had that. Everyone's had that discussion about Michael Jackson. The stuff like he's done, no one's really said, "Hey, hey, Michael." Like it's like that, the, like you cool. were saying, the guy at the yeah. top. Who does the guy at the top turn to? Yeah. Well, and yeah. and f- um, on, on that point as well, I was watching um, I was I was watching an episode of Drink Shop, and um, Nori Nori was basically saying that when you're in the industry, for example, when you're that guy at the top where everyone's screaming your name. Yeah. Yeah. When you then wake up and you're no longer that guy, he basically said that is a huge thing. He said, mm. literally, it can have such an impact on you that you don't even realise. He basically said, one minute you're at the top and everyone is screaming your name. Yes, yes, it's you, it's you, it's you. And then all of a sudden, you're washed up. 
and no one cares about you anymore. No one is checking for your music. No one is checking for anything you do. It's like Legends of the Fall Off, isn't it? That Buster yes, Rhymes that track. Buster Rhymes yeah. track, yeah. yeah. Ex- exactly yeah. that. But on, on that point as well, I was watching a documentary about um, mental health in sports. And it was basically centered around boxers and um, some, need, some yeah. football, footballers as well. And how they once the greatest athletes. And like I said, everyone is screaming the name. And then they may have an injury and may not yeah, be able to. Or may not, or they get knocked out in yeah. boxing especially. Yeah. Or they boxing re- and martial yeah. arts. One or, punch can make a difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or they retire and not able to fight anymore. And living life when no one is screaming your name can affect people in such a way. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and there was basically some athletes and they're saying that how they suffered from depression because they were so used to being, they wanted that feeling again that they had. And the one that you know, people say, admiration, the admiration, like from, a drug, nothing yes. comes close yeah. to it. Yeah, exactly. And the basic thing that when you know you can have an injury or something, and that's your whole career done. Mm. And it's not even so much the finances of it; it's more the facts of just the and buzz the and yeah, the love yeah, of it yeah. and just having everybody imagine going on the pitch or going to the ring and everyone is screaming your name he's got he's got a winning goal in it and then like, everyone's just chanting your name you've got all them chants about you and you're but, like, yeah. but then then you've also got with famous people you've got you go back to the money thing don't you it's yeah. like who can you trust when you're Michael Jackson you've got 500 million in the bank yeah. and everyone's saying yes all the time like look at Scott Storch man yeah mm. like, yes like yes. He, he just had a bunch of people stood around him going yep Whatever yeah. you want, yep, yeah, fine. When someone should have said to him, Scott, you've got a problem. Up. Yeah, need to have a word, mate. Look at MC Hammer, MC Hammer, like all that money now, right? and then yeah. no, it's like Shaq O'Neal. You ever seen an interview with Shaq O'Neal when he said when you got his first million dollars? No, he blew a million dollars. Yeah, in the day. and he didn't. He blew a million dollars in a day. He but he basically got told, yeah, here's your advance. He bought himself a car. He drove him and goes, Dad, look at my car. And your dad's like, well, where's my car? And he's like, oh, okay. He bought his dad the exact same car. Let's say the car was like 100,000. He's like, yeah, it's 100,000. I've still got 900,000 left. He's not thinking about tax. So he buys yeah, his dad yeah, a car. Yeah, like Wesley. Yeah. So he buys yeah. his dad a car. <laughs> he, he, he knew about tax. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he buys his dad a car. And his mum's like, well, where's my car? <laughs> so he buys a smaller car for his mum. And then obviously- He's, he's got a house he, to buy. No, he's not, not even a house. He's a young, he's a young NBA player. You've got to buy jewellery. So he buys jewelry, and then he buys this, and he buys that, and then he said, like the next, so he said, oh, in his his calculations, he's still got two hundred thousand left. So the next day, he got a phone Uh-oh. call from the bank. He was like, yo, you're hundred thousand in the red. What are you doing? Mm. You blew a million dollars in a day. Who does that? You know what I mean? So but what, I think was, from then he learned. Did you yeah. see? Did you see that interview with Jamie Fox on Joe Rogan when he was talking about? Um, he was talking about this thing about how your family can get envious when you've got a lot of money. Mm-hmm. and his mum and dad are divorced you know they split up a long time ago but they're still friends and he said so what I did was I bought this massive house and I just moved my family into it mm. so there's going to be none of that going on no mm. cousins turning up going well I want a piece it's like you've all got a piece Yeah. and he's like my dad lives in one side of the house my mum lives in one side of the house and we're good do you know that's what I mean so nothing's going to come it has to be a big house then. <laughs> you know I mean? oh yeah it was I mean it's Jamie Foxx's house, isn't it? That's, so, that's, yeah. that's, that's actually a smart room, actually, and I think that will actually solve a lot of problems. <laughs> and a lot, of, a lot of jealousy as well. But his, he said his dad had a big drug problem, and he said that, because you were talking about isolation before, and he said that when his dad moved into his house, he said, I'm going to give you an allowance. You can smoke weed if you want to, but any drugs and you're out. But, so his dad kicked his drug problem, but he said he thinks that he managed to kick it because he was now around his family all the time. Mm. Yeah. He had people around him. To do, yeah. you know. But I think 
I mean, that goes to people not being yes men. And I think people actually being open to have conversations about certain things. I think what I'm seeing now a lot of is, I see, you know, you're reading the papers and, you know, a lot of younger children um, that are committing suicide and suffering from depression. And I kind of think, I kind of try, I'm trying to go back to how I was at that age. And you didn't have Facebook. That's how you were at that well, age. Mm. Well, this is what, this, this is the point. And, I, and I'm thinking that social media Ha, has a big part to play in that because Massive you've got part. there's you know there's, there's there's different avenues you can look at in, in the sense of you know you've got people that are bullied cyber bullied and you know a lot of children then go into deep depression based on the abuse that they get online you've also got young girls that are trying to aspire to be body shamed yeah a body oh, shamed that, that, Oh, that's, that, that are that's body a whole shamed. Topic, that. Yeah, that are body shamed and feel that they're inferior because they don't look like someone on Instagram. And, you know, there's a lot of things and kids are exposed to a lot at such a young age because with our generation, you've got to remember that we weren't born into the internet. We, the internet came about when we yeah. were growing well, we're up. We a, a bit more of a life understanding. Yeah, Rose, you've got... about you? You've got... <laughs> even me, yo, I'm the youngest here, but I still grew. Yeah. I was still... When the internet came about... I was I had a little, more, you, little bit more life experience, so I knew what was coming. How old are you? Yeah. Twenty six. How old are you? Thirty three. How old are you? Thirty one. Jesus, I'm the oldest here. Apart <laughs> <laughs> from this man. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially, you know, they, they a lot of kids now are born into the internet, so they're exposed to so much straight away. Straight away, yeah. all you have to do is follow somebody on Instagram, and yeah. you're exposed to so much. Instagram, YouTube, yeah, Twitter, Facebook. everything. Even now with a uh, Twitch, Twitch is a big one now. Yeah, exactly. uh, gaming. Yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah, it, when you practice. think about it, you've got people that are exposed to a lot, and are probably you know, there's a lot of emotions, a lot of things. I, I can't, I couldn't even imagine what goes through somebody's head. Because uh, you have those two halves of your life, don't you? The bit before the internet yes. and the bit after. So you've yes. got some context of yes. how, how a life is without Exactly. It. But these kids, you know, well, this think, generation, they don't have any of that one context. Thing, you know, like you said about Twitch, right? Or this, like, online gaming, right? Because I've been, like, I'm, I'm a bit of a gamer. I'm not saying I'm a good gamer, but I'm a bit of a gamer. <laughs> right? And I've been playing, I've, like... I play like Call of Duty. I don't play Call of Duty anymore because it gets me too mad. No, no, but honestly, I, remember, no, I remember on your no. birthday jam, right? I remember I came, we, I think we were, oh, I can't remember what the bar's called, but you were in the toilets with, who's the big guy, Carl? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, with Carl, right? And you were absolutely like four sheets to the wind. And uh, Carl said to you, he said, come on, man, let's get you home. I'll bomb you up on FIFA, bomb you up on COD, <laughs> and then dry your eyes and shine. And you were just like, oh, man. No, but, 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 but on a level, like, like, back in the day, when I, when I used to be a Call of Duty now, right, I'd be playing it now, right, and I would die. And obviously, when you die, it's fake. Yeah. Right? So I'm like, it's fake! Ah, I'm screaming at the TV now. I've actually broke a pad one time, innit? Oh, yeah, it's yeah, a rage. It was a, ta- it was a tactical break, because I know my insurance ran out in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got a brand new pad, innit? Yeah. <laughs> but that's nothing there, wasn't it? I think, I think unless, you're not a serious gamer unless your pad's got bite marks in it. <laughs> well, I think the biggest issue is, what I was, the point I'm trying to get to, the biggest issue is now, right, I know very well, I've just got sniped from across the, from across the room by an eleven-year-old, she's not even old enough to play the game, right? <laughs> and me, I'm not legally yo, able to buy the game. I'm shouting abuse at him. You know I me mean, now, right? I'm saying, oh, I'm shouting abuse at him, and, and the, the, type, the type of abuse you hear oh, on, on PlayStation, 
And if you're a sensitive person, like, do you know if you're playing a game and you die? The amount of, the amount of insults, the amount of the, abuse. Your, mom, your mum's this, your mum's that, this, <laughs> you that, you know what I mean? And someone, like, they take abuse. And if you and if you add up and you keep giving abuse, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you could have, no, you're right. I, I think it's, I think part of it is the inability to resolve issues with people as well, because, mm. I mean, I had, I've had several therapists over the years, and, and I, I started going at one because I had an experience with this guy, and after I had it, I was like, I need to go and get anger management therapy. Mm. Basically, I, I had this, I bought this really nice new mountain bike. I was riding down the street with it, and uh, there's like a roundabout, and I'm, I'm gonna cross over the road. So I'm watching the guy come around the roundabout, see if he's indicating, doesn't indicate. I go across, and he, he turns into the, the road that I'm crossing, and the front of his car smashes into the front tire. Oh. So the bike twists, smashes all my leg up, and I'm like, just in shock, I didn't know what to do, do you know what I mean? So the guy stopped his car, he looked like a bit of a, a thug, do you know what I mean? He stopped his car and then he looked out and he went, you all right? And I was like, and I just said, yeah, because I didn't know, do you know I hadn't looked at my bike and I was like, well, I'm, I'm not dead, do you know what mm. I mean? So he drove off, got home, the bike's wrecked, right? So then it just so happened that um, I bought something off this guy on eBay and it was not as he described it. And normally I don't say anything, I'm not bothered, it's like, five quid, whatever, who cares? Do you know what I mean? But this was so badly, like, unfit for purpose. I thought, actually, I'm going to say that this was wrong. I didn't lodge a complaint. I just said, no, it was not as you mm. described it. So get in the house, and again, getting back to that, how you don't process something instantly, mm. I'm like, okay, I've, no, I'm processing this experience I've just had. Um, and the phone starts ringing. So I pick the phone up, and it was this guy, this proper supercilious, cocky guy on the phone. And, uh, and he said, oh, you bought this item off us and uh, you left some negative feedback. And I was like, okay, yeah. How did you get my phone number? Well, he wouldn't tell me. So he said, he said, how about if I give you the money back, will you change the feedback? And I was like, well, no. Because then not only are you lying, but I'm lying as well. Mm. I'm not going to do that. So then he starts laying into me and he, he said, the thing that triggered me was he said, he said, all right, sir, if you want to be petty about it. And I just like... You know, all that road yeah. accident rage mm. just like exploded out of me. So I was trying to drill this guy on the phone. And uh, it got to the point where I put the phone down, then I called him back to drill him some more. <laughs> he was like, that bad. <laughs> and, then, and, he, and then the bit that really, really tipped me over the edge at the end was like, he was just laughing at me over the phone and he went, listen to you. Like, you're just pathetic. And it was like, it was like impotent rage. Like, I couldn't yeah. do anything to yeah. him. Do you know what I mean? So I put the phone down. And at that point, I was crying. Do you know what I mean? You know when you're so yeah. angry, you're yeah. crying. Mm. So I called Emotions up, like, exactly, yeah. So I called up the eBay people. Dude didn't know what to do with me because I was so upset. He wouldn't help me. He was like, oh, you have to lodge your complaint on the, on the internet. And I was like, well, why can't I do it over the phone? And then I had to go and do this gig. And it was like, I was, I was in a really bad way. And I didn't think I could get in that, that kind of state. So I had to go and, you know, go and see this woman and sit down in this room and go, I think I've got a problem. Do you know what mm. I mean? Dealing with those kind of things. But getting back to the Facebook thing, uh, I was watching this comedian and he was talking about Facebook and he said, the problem is like, you know, kids are cruel, right? Mm. And when, when he was a kid, you know, back in the seventies or whatever, you'd be in a playground, look at another kid and go, you're fat. Mm. And the kid's face would crumple up and they start crying. And then the other kid goes, oh, that doesn't feel good seeing that person have that experience. Yeah. And that creates empathy, doesn't it? You go, mm. that wasn't a good experience. But on Facebook, yeah, everybody's a keyboard gangster. Aren't yeah. they? You just write it out and you just throw it out there. Yeah. It's like, I don't have to see the results yeah. of that. And I think that what you were saying about the 11-year-old, 
you know, you can't reach that 11 year old. You can't have resolved the conflict, can mm. you? So you, you can't just like see how that person's look at that look on that person's yeah, face yeah, when yeah. you read that. And that comment. person's going to take that out into the world. And but I think that's, you know, in all fairness, what I was going to say before, um, when I was in, when I was young, when I was in infant school, now, right, there was, um, I was like the only black guy in the school. And then there's this um, black girl that came into school and she was adopted, right? She was adopted by white parents. <clears throat> so a lot of times you come to school and then the parents must not know about like black black care, skin skincare, hair care, etc. Yeah. Right, so right. she had ashy, ashy. ashy kneecaps, ashy <laughs> elbows, picky head. And obviously, if that was now, being an an, an adult myself, and if I see someone like a need, I'd be like, yo, come out, I'll, I'll Let's help you yeah, out. I was a savage. I used to cuss her about her kneecaps, cuss her about her picky head. And do you know what? And every, every, every like I was like five, six, but now when I'm older, you look and back I, at it and, it's and like, I felt so bad. Wow, was I really like that? Because it's like there's, there's two black people in the whole school, and I'm there just ripping into her, mm. and it's like, but I knew no better because like when I was when I as a kid, if Nathaniel had um, ashy kneecaps or my younger brother had ashy kneecaps, we're cussing, we're cussing. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's what I know, innit? But that's how so, boys relate to each yeah. other as well. You don't understand the girls don't work yeah, the same way. But then way, it's, yeah. it works the same way as well. Do you know, like with kids these days, like. If they're in a household and their dad's just like a savage to them, their family's a savage to them, and they just like, do you know what I mean? If I've been in some houses now, right, and I just look at, I look at the, I look at the dad, I look at the mom, look at the children, and I just shake my head because the kids have got no chance. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm not even being rude. No, no, they've got no, exactly got no chance. Yeah. They've got mm. no chance. The parents are workless, right? The kids, the kids, all they can aspire to is worklessness, isn't it now, right? And then they're getting put into school with other people. And they're just using the aggression they get from the house on these other people. And then it's just like, it's just, that's, a bit, that's a, lot of, a lot of bullying. And it's just... The thing, the thing is, though, you know, pressure creates diamonds, doesn't it? And mm. like, like, if you'd have met me when I was like 21, you would have just been like, this guy's got going nowhere. You know, and like... But I think sometimes people go through hellish things and it crushes them. And sometimes people go through hellish things and eventually they get out the other side and they mm. learn you know, how to function in the world, so. I think, uh, I, I listen to a lot, a lot of music, um, and that helps me, I don't know, it's, it's sort of like it's a good outlet for mm. me to just sort of, you know, kick back and just listen to music. For years, I've always <clears> had <throat> headphones in, if you see me on mm. the streets, I've always got them in. And I start to think about, like, whether music has any impact on your emotions and oh, absolutely. How, how you absolutely. feel absolutely and interestingly enough i was um i was watching something it was um a couple of interviews and the people <coughs> a few artists made reference to kid cuddy and they mm. basically like kid cuddy is not really my cup of tea i don't really i don't really like it as an artist but a lot of artists and a lot of credible artists were basically saying kid cuddy saved my life and and when I look back, I think, well, to be fair, a lot of his music is very sort of like, it touches on depression. And his whole catalogue is sort of like, yeah, you know, I'm solo dolo, it's just me. Like, I have these dark feelings and stuff. And it, got, it, got, it gets people through a lot. Like, a lot. The sense and, that you're not on your own, yeah. Well, this is what I mean. Mm. And basically, you know, I was watching this interview and, and I think it was Travis Scott was basically saying, if it wasn't Kid Cudi, I'd have done some terrible stuff to myself. Mm. And I kind of thought to myself, like, influences of music and stuff, because a lot of newer artists now, 
a lot of the music is really, really heavy set on on depression and um, taking Drop Xanax off. and stuff. Mm. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the Xanax thing that is taking a dive ever since that little peep kid died. Yeah. Ever since that little peep kid died, I've seen like numerous artists uh, like come out and say publicly and say, "Yo, we should stop using this." this I'm sure thing. little peep friend nearly died as well. Was, it, was that little people might be sewn up? Like, yeah, I yeah, think I did. But then there was another kid caught, another rapper. Oh, I wouldn't say rapper because I don't. I don't listen to. I know his name and I've seen videos of him. Yeah. Uh, Lil Zan. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, even yes, that's in his name. Zanat's in his name. That's people. Uh, and I watched. This is something I watched yesterday. And it, I just so happened to stumble upon it. Is that yes, my name does contain Zan, and it could be looked as yeah, I'm pro Zanax. But he started like a uh, anti Xanax move, uh, movement now, and he's trying to put that through, which is commendable. It is very respectable, um, and he said, "Yes, people can assume that. Oh yeah, I it may look I'm, I'm pro Zan with my name being the forefront of it, but you need to look past that and see what he's actually trying to do elsewhere." Mm. But the, the thing is as well, though. Yeah, he is doing. The, the, the thing is as well, though. <laughs> touching on that with because. Xanax, you hear that in music, in hip hop music. You've seen there's a big rise in it over the past couple of years. And Xanax, I think the the main use for that is it's to battle um, anxiety. Mm. and panic attacks and no, stuff. Valium and stuff like that calms yeah. you down. So that opioids, isn't yes. it? Big opioid yes. epidemic in America. That is big, really, really big at the moment in America. And it makes you think about, you know, we're using all these drugs to sort of hide or sort of an numb em- yourself yeah to numb yourself and, from and these are all man-made as well so technically you don't even know what's in it and but, what the actual side effects are going to be well this is it on the person. and it kind of begs a question as you know people you know are we not really talking enough about mental health because if, we, if everyone's talking about Xanaxes and stuff but we're not talking about the reason why people are taking it do you know what I mean? Then it, that's a big problem. I but isn't like, isn't that more of American it, culture, though, isn't it? That is a more doesn't of doesn't that culture. get back to what we was you were talking about at the beginning about you know you were talking about Asian and Black culture? How you've got generations of people who don't talk about it. Mm. I mean, and part of that you know you get that in white culture as well. Part of that is down to, in some cases, I think an excess of masculinity. Yes. And if you look at the hip hop community, there's nothing more masculine mm. in the music world than that. Mm. And it's like you know, beyond people like Kendrick Lamar and maybe J. Cole and artists of that nature, you know, a lot of people, like you say, are not talking about the feelings. No. And I think, you know, those kind of over-the-counter drugs are a good way to shut those feelings off. Yeah. But the interesting, because Scott Storch was saying on The Breakfast Club the other day that um, he said, the interesting thing is we used to rap about selling drugs yeah. and now everybody's taking, taking them. Drugs, and it's like yeah. it never used to be like yeah. that. Yeah, it's a different know? different culture. But, but maybe when I started thinking about depression in hip-hop and mental health in hip-hop. I was sort of thinking about certain artists that have been talking about this stuff for a long time. Like, even if you think about Eminem. Oh, Eminem God, yeah. has suffered from, from depression for his whole, ca- through his whole career. Do you know, I think that's why Eminem became so big. Because he was so different in terms of his content to everybody else. Because oh, he was white, so he couldn't talk about gang culture. Mm. He comes along and he starts talking about his abusive mum, his wife, his drug problems, and, and, and he binds it all together with this sort of unique storytelling ability that he's got. And I think a lot of people sort of tapped into that, were like, we've never heard anything like this before. Mm. You know? And I think it got worse, not worse, but I think as he got, as his oh. career progressed, I feel like his depression got 
more yeah yeah you yeah. can hear it more in his songs and after but when you hear like well, yeah, it's also Shady, kind yeah. of an addiction when his friend died didn't yeah. it? his friend Proof, got yeah. shot when you hear mm. stuff like I'm Slim Shady I'm the little Slim Shady <coughs> to I'm not afraid and all this other stuff and like mm. Stan for example he actually is it Stan? yeah yeah, Stan. yeah he raps about that person basically killing himself yeah you know what I mean like mm. he literally mm. just, Yo, he, he just he, got dead worked up about yeah the, and none reply. Yo, you know, there's a big trigger pause, but we're just sitting there singing along to the song. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? But People don't look at yeah. but, the lyrics deeper. Yeah, but talking about how, how in the hip-hop community, you know, in that kind of music that people aren't talking about their, their feelings, they're just numbing them or trying to get rid of them or whatever. It's interesting, but I think the more honest an artist is about their feelings, the more successful they are. And mm. I think that means there's a, a huge appetite for that discussion. If you look mm. at Kendrick Lamar, like... That track on To Pimp a Butterfly called uh, You, where yeah. he's drunk and he's like, yeah. like it must have been so crushingly embarrassing yeah. to record that song. And he just put it out there, didn't yeah. he? He just think, slapped it out in front of the world. I think with you know? Kendrick, Kendrick's that rapper, he's, he's, he's a lyrical rapper. If, you, if you're a gangster rapper and your whole career is based on gangster rap, yeah, yeah, and you yeah. start talking about yeah, depression and, and, and feelings and stuff, that, for example, um, what's that guy's name? Um, 21 Savage. Like 21 Savage, he's made, he, when he came out, he was like that big gangster rapper now, right? And then he started going out with... Like um, Slim Jesus. Yeah. Oh, what? That's, that's a different Jesus. story for a different day. Yeah, it's a different story, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, but then he started, he started going out with Amber Rose, innit? And then he then did a song about on his album called FaceTime, talking about FaceTime and a girl. There, people were getting vexed, like, yo, this ain't, this ain't 21 Savage, this is awful, blah, blah, this is trash, this is trash. And I said, listen to the album, it ain't great, but it... It ain't great, but good word, but, but, but it was it was no. it wasn't as bad as people going on. Like yeah. obviously, obviously now, right? He wasn't going as hard as as he did in some of his mixtapes. But then you have to remember, not only is he trying to go to the wider public, mm. he's basically he's trying to sell. He's, he's an artist. He's, 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 he's trying to express he's, himself differently. But he's yeah. living his life as well, and yeah. I think this is the thing. I think it's a whole perception of look, you know. Uh, in the black community, as we said, there's a lot of um, masculinity. And it's a lot of, you know, if you've got problems, then we just deal with it. You know what I mean? And I think now what I'm seeing is a lot more people talking more openly about going to, like, therapists and stuff. Mm. Um, like, um, Charlemagne, he, the god, he, he talks a lot about it on his shows and stuff. And he basically says, look, yeah, I, I go to the therapist every Friday. And I think a lot of people are now be more open about life experience as well. Like I remember seeing something with Styles P. He was talking about um, his, his daughter commits yeah. suicide. Yeah, and it was something which in a sense of he was, on the interview, was really, really, really worked up about it. And it was, as much as it was a sad, sad um, thing to see, it, all, it was a good thing in a sense of him opening up and mm. people seeing this is Styles P, this is a gang... He's actually talking about, you know, things which are affecting him. And, and, you know, and I think it's good to keep that conversation going. And I think we just, we just need to get the stigma needs to be removed in terms we need, of... We need to get there before... We, don't, we shouldn't have to wait for death before yeah. we start talking. Oh, and I, and yeah, I think yeah. we also need to look in terms of, like, not just assume that people are okay. Like, um, me being a father now and um, seeing, how, seeing a woman give birth... Um, you know, there's a lot of women that suffer from post postnatal depression, 
and it's not something you'd even think about and sometimes you probably don't even see signs but it's something which is quite common which people don't really that don't really talk about and you know you kind of think if if the partner for example isn't there to sort of take note or kind of like you know see see the signs then you know you how don't need to know how they to know and it's just just not assuming that you know people when you go through life changes there are things which will affect people more than you think the world oh, yeah, definitely. and i think it's just about just just checking and say look you know are you all right and just check no are you really okay and i think it's just being as much as it's good to ask but also you need to be prepared to sort of express your own feelings as well and just be open to conversation because without the conversation i don't think there's going to be any sort of progression or any sort of understanding like i said we're not experts and we're not supposed to be experts but i think i just wanted to have a conversation and people just talk about their experiences and, and whatever they've been through and what they what they're aware of um but everyone needs to vent oh definitely if you, don't, if you don't vent you then go do something like like you, like you said when that guy just said that one trigger word mm. you would you were gone mm. so that it, so that's sometimes that's why I play play that's why I play PlayStation. Like, for example, that's your if, out yeah. There. If I get mad, or if, let's say for example I get into an argument with my missus now, right? And you know, and like you have to go for you. Don't shoot do, some Germans. Yeah. <laughs> you have to do something before you, before you do something stupid. You know what I mean? That's why I think. Well, we're not going to get into this because it's a whole different situation. But that's why I think sometimes that can then lead to domestic violence because oh, you would then something will happen at work, for example. You got a, you got a deadline to get to, stuff is not happening. You can't you can't do it. You get home, like you're already at boiling point. Your dinner's not ready, and then your missus like, well, and you're like, ah, and the next thing you know, you do that, and you're like, it just it just happens. But so it's just literally it's just about sometimes just just sitting there counting to ten, just mm-hmm. walking away, just sitting there. Is that some eleven year old on Call of Duty? Just, <laughs> just, you have to, just, yeah. just a way to get it out. Yeah. But no, no, I completely agree. Like, I just want to dabble into like oh, whole. Like, you just brought up domestic violence. Like, that's something that is now more common, uh, and it's also contributing to also anxiety and depression as well. Um, there's been a, obviously um, I don't know if anyone has seen the statistics, but there's been a rise of uh, domestic violence against men. Yeah. Uh, Statistically, women are far more likely to attack men than the other way around. Yeah. And And that's been true for a And I'm not here to say that, oh, yeah, just men are uh, suffering from Mm. domestic. No, it happens both sides. Yeah. And it can happen to anyone. And different people have different ways of going about it. Uh, How will they come and outlet it? Some people have someone to speak to, some people might not. Yeah. And then people who do not they are in a much worse position because they don't know what to do, what to say, how to go about things, who to go to, or even know what to do next for themselves because they'll be in this relationship and they'll be, they feel like they're trapped. And I'm not just talking from a male perspective or from a female perspective, I'm speaking from both. Like anyone can be in a position where they feel that, oh no, I don't know what I'm going to do going forward from here it's and with a relationship with this person. Because think about it, do you know, as a man, if your phone comes up to me, I've got a little problem. It's like, what is it? Like, I'm getting beat up by my partner, and you're you're just like. If we're talking ten years ago, you're gonna laugh in that other you know guy's I mean? face. You know what I mean? You can be like, 
blood, like like man up. You, yeah, literally. Like, like fix up. You can't let your girl do that. But then, you, like, whatever. But at the same time, at the same time, in my workplace, I saw I saw a poster, right, and it was about it was about um, spotting signs of domestic violence, and what it was, it was a picture of um, a man and a woman talking to this woman, basically saying, oh, do you wanna come play? Do you wanna come play tennis with us? No, do you wanna come out for a drink with us? Kind of thing. And she's there, like, and she's there thinking, and it's like a bubble going into the top corner. And it's basically, yeah, it's basically like a, her man saying, why are you talking to that guy? Um, oh. like, what, um, are you cheating on me kind of thing? And it's like, spot these problems early. But I looked at it and I was like, fair enough. However, it is both ways as well. Mm. Like you could be at, like you could be going out, yeah, to go out for a drink with me. Yeah, but you chat to girls, who's like good on your phone? And you know what I mean? It's, it works yeah. both ways. But when you see it advertised, you don't really see male domestic mm. violence advertised. It's always... No. It's always female. Yeah. And, and I think... Sorry, sorry, I think with that as well, that can cause a lot of um, anger. Um, and if you don't have the right sort of outlet for it, then it can really cause a lot of problems for you moving forward. And I think things like that, I mean, they may not even affect you until later years in life. I mean, I've got a couple of people I went to uni with and they've both suffered from... Um, mental illness and they've both been in mental institutions for a period of time so it's just something which life experiences can have knock-on effects um completely agree yeah i mean in close i just wanted to just sort of um read this message that um like an old friend message sent me on on facebook um so you really want to be here but you couldn't do to work commitments and that but it, it's, it, this sort of kind of like sums things up. Um, I think it's quite interesting and quite deep as well. You um, just put, hey, buddy, love the podcast. Keep it up. Just wanted to give a shout out uh, for the next episode, which is on mental health. Since school, I've suffered with mental health, and whilst everyone has their ups and downs, it's important that everyone understands that mental health is not is normal and is something that must be accepted before you can start to heal. Um, nobody knows what happens in your brain even when you can show a brave face. So it's very important to take positive steps to recovery. I worked for Experian when I was 18. One day I walked up Talbot Street to work. I was just passing um, Rock City. Directly opposite is a multi-story Crown Plaza hotel car park. I witnessed somebody jump from the top of the car park to the floor beneath me. I was the only one, I was the first and only person at the scene. My instinct and panic kicked in, but I held it together to ring an ambulance. Unfortunately, the person died on impact and has been difficult memory to erase even to this day. For the next six months, I found myself in a constant state of anxiety and depression, asking questions for what I could have done better and asked questions of why. It made me go deeper to think, what was that person thinking in order to do such a thing? It made me question what meaning of life and how the family left behind must have been affected even to this day. The person was a 23-year-old male. One day I was in town on the bus three years later on. I was happy, healthy, but I then all of a sudden found myself short of breath. I had a huge panic attack at the bus stop near the library in Nottingham. It made me unable to move and I was on the floor in recovery position. An ambulance got called and I was seen by a paramedic. In a way, this was been in a way, this was when I was cured because the paramedics came and honestly thought I was dying. They hooked me up to a heart monitor and the woman looked at me and said, you are fine, but do something really important for me. It looks like your fingers are on fire, so I want you to blow on each finger to blow out the fire. 
it was in that moment that I then laughed and cried, thinking, this woman is genius. She'd helped me, she'd helped to stop, um, she, she has helped to breathe slowly and control my breathing and stop mm. my anxious thoughts by something so trivial. It was in that moment that changed the way in which I think. To, f to help find a cure, it's been around people that understand your issues and are both, and are worth your time. Positive vibes and talking to the most important, which is why I think um, it's, been, it's been so in, in, into your podcast and pulling up important subjects resonates massively with me. Trauma can be healed, um, but as a male, it is a super important to have a, a good support network um, and gain help from those that you trust. Funnily enough, my trigger for anxiety is something that cannot be cured. So you just have to learn to accept it. It is a fear of not being in control, mm. but that is okay. I've been thinking of you recently as I've also experienced a trauma that you first that you have firsthand. It was not nice for me and has been something that I've that I've not been able to ever erase. So th just think that <clears throat> what you did made a difference. Whilst it may hurt for a while, <clears throat> trying to find the answers, it will help you help, help you to be a stronger person in the long run. Know that you did the right thing. As part of the vibe towards mental health, and as much as I don't see you guys much anymore, the love is always there and will always be. Um, while I'm sure you have a very decent support network around you, it's important for you to know that the door is always open and we must break the stigma against mental hope. I hope that this helps. If anything, I just wanted to share my story. So in closing, that was just something which um, an old friend had, had messaged me. Um, and I think that really tied things up nicely. Um, Can I... Can I just add, add a little thing onto that? Mm, yeah, Is that okay? I don't yeah, want to yeah. like ruin the like perfect end. I mean, that was great. Um, I think one of the issues that's come up all the way through this and which this guy addresses really nicely is, is um, we're all being affected by everything all the time. And uh, when I went to high school, I had a teacher called Mrs. Fox. And, and uh, I don't know if you've ever read, read the poem, If by Woodyard Kipling. Mm -mm. You know, if you can keep your head when all, all mm -hmm. around you are losing theirs and blame it on you. Okay, yeah. so it's about how to be a good man, basically. And she would read it every year, right, at the beginning of the year, and we were all just like, oh, God, whatever, this poem, do you know what I mean? And then at the end of school, she, she printed copies on this beautiful paper, framed it, and gave everyone a copy, right? So I took it home and put it in a box because I was 16, I didn't care. And then one day I pulled it out and I realised how important it had become to me and, and how much it resonated with me. So I sent her a message on Facebook, because I hadn't spoke to her for like 20 years, do you know what I mean? And I said, uh, I said, I just wanted you to know that like, I didn't care about it then, but now it's really important to me and I just wanted to thank you for it. And she never got back to me. And then about six months later, I get a message from her and she went, oh, my daughter was looking at my Facebook and because I'm not friends with you, this went into my filtered messages, yeah, so I didn't yeah, yeah. see it. So she said, I've literally just retired and I was just sat here thinking, what was the point of it all? And then I read your message and it was like, I'm not saying, you know, I'm a great person. I've yeah. made our life mean something, but it's like, you know, the world's like a big pond and you're like a pebble. And every time you walk out your door, you're getting thrown into that pond and the ripples are affecting everybody. Mm. And I think, um, don't underestimate the positive impacts that you can have on people, you know? And again, with you, the, the experience you have with that woman, like, you know, I know it's probably going to affect you in some negative ways, but don't underestimate the positive effect you had on that woman's life mm. and, and the positive effect you're having in a community sense by creating this podcast. So, so big up yourself, man. No, thank you, man. 
yeah, and, and thank you guys as well um, yeah. for coming in and having this conversation. Um, you know, yeah, this thanks is, for having us, man. No yeah, problem, thanks, man. man. I mean, this is just a start. I mean, I want to make sure this conversation keeps going. Um, you know, it's something which we'll revisit at some point. Um, but I think it's just important just, you know, just to try and have more conversations, just be open with people and just try and just not assume and just kind of just try and let's try and remove this the stigma within each community. Um, I was speaking to Dean when I was talking about this ordeal that I had with the, um, yeah, Dean with the woman. Yeah, the woman. And he said, um, it's silly really because, because we're talking about how the stigma is in the black community. And he basically said, you know, it's funny. He said, 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 it says, mental health has got nothing to do. It's like your colour has nothing to do what goes on in your head. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. at the end of the day, it said what happens upstairs has nothing to do with your old people, with, with, your, with your, yeah. your skin tone, ethnicity, culture, or anything. You know, we're all human beings. So in closing, again, thanks guys just for for coming through and and, and uh, blessing I'd, the podcast. I'd just like to close on one thing. Uh, anyone who's listening, uh, I want you to find someone you know you think is strong, who you think is going, who everything is going dandy in hand, like everything is going perfect for them. I want you to speak to them and ask them how they are, have a detailed conversation, make sure they're okay because like you think that person is strong but inside deep down that person may not be strong. Be there for that person, help them out because you never know, they might be there one day, next thing you know they, they could be that very strong person, that strong person is gone. So speak to that person, speak to someone you know who is strong and help them take some weight off their shoulders because... You never know, you might be doing them a big favour. Yeah. You might be helping them out way more than you can ever know. You never know what the straw that is that's going to break the camel's back. Exactly. Yeah. Word to your mother. Yeah. Yeah, no, big up. That's very, 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 very wise words. Um, so again, guys, thanks for checking in and I will see you next time on the Bib the Banter podcast. Peace. Much love. See ya.